In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Trump is coming back to Georgia to settle a score. I'm going to be here in a year and a half, and I'm going to be campaigning against your governor and your crazy secretary of state. That I can Welcome to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most in-depth, on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. We have new episodes every Wednesday and Friday, and you should definitely listen to all of them. I'm Patricia Murphy, the Political Insider columnist here at the AJC. My co-host Greg Bluestein is off today because he's on a book tour and focused on world domination, but we will have him back in the chair next week, uh, landing the plane. But until then, you've got me at the controls, and I have not done this without a whole lot of help. So here we are to break down the last week of politics. We have some of our AJC All-Stars I'm going to flip the script here that I have in front of me. I'm going to introduce our editor-in-chief, Kevin Riley, first. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I really uh, am excited. I'm sorry it took Greg uh, not being here to make it. Uh, It's a little bit, apparently, Patricia, like me trying to get an item in the jolt. I just can't pull it off no matter how hard I try. Kevin, your quality always rises to the top. I just want you to know that we had to just get rid of Greg, have him publish a book so that we can make room on this podcast for somebody of your quality. Well, that's great to know. Thanks. <laughs> I feel like I did that really well. Okay. Next, uh, also with us today is Tamar Hollerman. She is one of our senior reporters here at the AJC. She also has lots of time covering the George delegation and national politics up in Washington. So Tamar, it's awesome to have you with the show today. Thanks so much, Patricia, and congrats to you. You're doing a great job flying the plane while the cat's away. Thank you so much. I think we're going to be okay. Now, by the way, if you're listening to us for the first time, please subscribe to the show for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a rating so that we can grow this thing and make sure it's a good rating as long as we've earned it. Uh, So first, we're going to get started with this show. And we're going to talk about the show coming to Georgia on Saturday in commerce. That is going to be when Donald Trump comes back to Georgia. And it's going to sound a whole lot different from the last time he was here talking about Brian Kemp in 2018. Oprah was here to uh, endorse Stacey, and I'm here to endorse Brian. And you know what? I hope you're going to listen to my endorsement. Stacey Abrams will make your schools and neighborhoods unsafe, and she will make your jobs disappear like magic. You know the magic wand that President Obama said? You'll never get your manufacturing jobs back. You need a magic wand. Well, we did. 
But all of these reasons, and maybe the best reason of all, he's a great leader, he's a strong man, he's a strong personality, which you need. And he is somebody that will be a great governor of Georgia. Brian Kemp, please come back. Well, that was 2018, and this was the former president in January of 2021. Your governor and your secretary of state, they're petrified of Stacey Abrams. What's that all about? And again, here he was in September of 2021. When Stacey Abrams says, I'm not going to concede, that's okay. No problem. Oh, she's not going to concede. She's not going to concede. Of course, having her, I think, might be better than having your existing governor, if you want to know the might might very well be better. Well, Kevin, we've got Donald Trump here back in Georgia for the first time since he endorsed or seemed to endorse Stacey Abrams. Now we know, of course, that he has endorsed and really brought into the race David Perdue. And we will see not just Perdue, but a whole slate of Trump picked candidates when they're all on the stage together uh, coming up here on Saturday. So, Kevin, what do you think the stakes are for Trump on Saturday and really in this race generally? Well, you know, it seems like, right, anyone who is even closely affiliated with Kemp, he's against. So he's decided to endorse seven people going deep into the ticket. Patricia Matamara, I mean, we're going to find out here if Trump's endorsement, his support is as important as it seemed to be not that long ago. Tamara, I know that we're going to have um, not just Trump and his endorsed candidates. We're also going to have Marjorie Taylor Greene on stage and Andrew Clyde on stage. Those are two candidates who were really from the far right. And nobody in Georgia, I don't think, had really ever heard of them until they almost won election. And then once they did win election, um, certainly Marjorie Taylor Greene and to a certain extent, Andrew Clyde have really been uh, household names in a lot of ways. So when they're all on the stage together, what are you going to be looking for? I'm going to be watching the dynamic, uh, especially with some of these candidates who, of course, have taken up the Donald Trump mantle and endorsements, but have also tried to appeal themselves to a broader audience. So somebody like Herschel Walker, um, who in general has talked about kind of being a more unifying voice in Georgia, who ended up canceling an appearance at a recent event with Marjorie Taylor Greene because of some of the comments she made at a white supremacist event related to Ukraine and and Russia. So what's that dynamic going to be like? Is he going to stick his arm around her and be photographed with her? Is there going to be a weird separation on stage? That's something I'm certainly going to be watching. I'm also curious how much Donald Trump is going to really be talking about David Perdue, the one who he's kind of been the most vocal about. You mentioned, Patricia, that he's the one who really brought David Perdue into this race to to primary Governor Kemp. Um, How much does he speak about some of these other candidates, especially some of these lesser known voices? For example, John Gordon, um, this attorney who ended up uh, kind of reviving his law um, license in order to um, help challenge the election results in 2020, who's now challenging AG Chris Carr and uh, whose name hadn't really surfaced until qualifying week. And same with Patrick Witt, who is a former Yale football player um, who was running, I believe, for Congress. Patricia, you might be able to correct me, and is now challenging insurance commissioner John King um, solely because John King is an ally of, of Governor Kemp. Uh, How much does Trump know about these kind of lower profile people and how much is he really going to be talking about them during this event? 
Yeah, well, you mentioned a couple of those. For our listeners who are not aware, I'm going to go ahead and just let everyone know who all of these candidates are um, who are going to be on stage with Donald Trump on Saturday. Of course, we have uh, the Trump slate topped by David Perdue versus Governor Brian Kemp in that GOP primary. We'll have uh, State Senator Burt Jones versus uh, State Senator Butch Miller to take over for outgoing Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who has had his own problems with Donald Trump. And that almost made it really untenable for him to stay in that race. And Burt Jones is the Trump-endorsed candidate. Also, of course, on the Senate uh, side, we have Herschel Walker um, going up against four other four other Republicans, rather, who are trying to take the seat of Senator Raphael Warnock. We also have uh, Jody Heiss currently a congressman, running against Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. If we had to pick a bigger enemy for Brian Kemp, might be Brad Raffensperger. Also, as you mentioned, Tamar, John Gordon, a really little-known attorney versus Attorney General Chris Carr. Then also um, Vernon Jones, the former Democrat turned Republican, has gone up against Mike Collins and a whole host of other Republicans in that 10th district race. And then Patrick Witt, as you mentioned, going up against Insurance Commissioner John King. So, uh, Kevin, if I had to think of a single attribute that united these candidates, it's that they all support Donald Trump and that they have all questioned the legitimacy of the last election. That seems to be what it takes, right, to get his support is to... Uh question the legitimacy of the election. And of course, as I'd like to remind people all the time, is even if all those people had been able to turn the Georgia election to Trump, he still would have lost anyway, because it, you know, but it, it still, it just doesn't seem to matter. And I think, you know, as we look at what happens at this rally, you know, tomorrow points out, it's going to be a pretty crowded stage, you know, I mean, it's going to be like uh, going to see the Beach Boys and anybody who was ever in the band is there and there is there even enough room on the stage. Uh, but also, uh, you, you really wonder if Trump will be able to keep all these people straight and if he's going to know them and really be able to talk talk about him. But in the end, uh, it's really um, kind of a, a, a strange thing to see that Brian Kemp, right, Patricia, he got elected because Trump endorsed him, plain and simple, right? He was he was not didn't look like he had much of a chance until that happened. And and then it just turned. But that doesn't seem to slow the people like Purdue down who are seeking uh, Trump's, you know, who want Trump's support it, it, as if, well, he would never turn against them. And it's just it's just a very odd situation, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say, you know, if you talk to Brian Kemp's uh, team, they will say that he was already leading in the polls, which is true. He had a more narrow lead in the polls um, when he was running for that uh, uh, open governor's seat. But once Donald Trump endorsed him, he went from middle single digits to totally unstoppable and really closed that race down. And um, tomorrow I'm going to be done. I'm going to be over in commerce. I know Greg's going to be there in commerce. We'll also have Shannon McCarthy. Caffrey, um, who is a new member of our AJC politics team, I believe is going to be over there as well. I don't know how many people are going to be there. I think it will be a large crowd, but it's just a different day in Georgia politics now. It's a different day in Republican politics. And I'll be really interested to see who the crowd is, how many people are there, 
what is their mood? Are they energized? Are are they in uh, denial still about the election? Um, that's definitely what I'm going to be looking for. Um, and I think for sure, looking to see if they have any uh, specific arguments against Brian Kemp, or if they're just mad at him, like Donald Trump, and what that might look like in an election. So tomorrow, if you're if you are Brian Kemp, how do you assess what he's doing so far? Because he's really, uh, he has not said anything bad about Donald Trump this whole entire time. He's been studiously avoiding saying anything bad about Donald Trump because he still is trying to appeal to Trump voters uh, because he needs them in a Republican primary. He can't have all of them go to go to uh, David Perdue. And so I think he's pointing a lot to his record and kind of using the raw powers of his office as governor and able to, you know, to kind of score all of these points, passing conservative policies, appointing conservative people to different posts around the state, sidelining key allies of David Perdue, uh, first and foremost, his first cousin, former Governor Sonny Perdue, to become chancellor of the uh, university system here in Georgia. So he's kind of done everything he can without kind of broadcasting or saying anything nasty about Donald Trump. And so far, that approach seems to be working for him. David Perdue has not fundraised a ton compared, you know, Brian Kemp has fundraised multiple magnitudes over what David Perdue has been able to. Um, he has a ton of money in the bank. He's able to go on television. Um, you know, he has plenty of allies and outside groups that are also coming in to support him. So it seems like that approach is working so far. I'm going to be curious to see how much of a bump David Perdue could get based off a rally like this. Uh, the thing I'm going to be watching for is how much this event ends up being, I don't know if any of you guys are, are Seinfeld fans, but kind of like Festivus, you know, this, this made up holiday that uh, George's dad made up where one of the, the key tenants is the airing of the grievances, where you sit around and talk about what all the people you love, what, what they've done to make you angry and upset you in the last year. And to me, that's what so many Donald Trump rallies have become after the 2020 election when it involves Donald Trump. And a key problem that David Perdue himself had in January 2021, the last time uh, Kemp, or sorry, uh, Trump came to his aid, him and Kelly Loeffler ahead of the runoff, was that Trump just aired a bunch of grievances about November 2020. He didn't do a ton to encourage people to go vote again for Purdue and Leffler. So that can be another concern is Trump will go on stage and, and rail and rant for 90 minutes, but not actually hit home the message, hey, go and support this slate of candidates over uh, these state officers. So certainly something to watch. Tomorrow, okay. I think uh, uh, yeah. I think that Trump may get on stage then and say, I got a lot of problems with you people, just like in that <laughs> Seinfeld episode. But Patricia, but wouldn't you say to uh, the fact that David Perdue has not been able to raise money, isn't that a really big tell among Republicans in the state? I think absolutely. You know, you it's just one of our measurements. It's one of our data sets to measure somebody's support in the state is how much money are you able to raise? Um, it's pretty obvious why he's not raising money among the big donors right now for two reasons. Up, up until now, he had not put in any of his own money into it. And if I have $50,000, I'm not rushing to write a check to someone who's not written their own check for their campaign. But he has now, we understand that he is going to be um, writing a check to his own campaign to seed it a little bit. Um, but then also, if you're running against a sitting governor, and you are making these public donations, 
you better believe the governor or the governor's staff are taking a hard look at that and understanding this person has come out against me in my primary for my political survival. And those uh, checks are not forgotten. That is That leaves an impact. It leaves a mark that does not go away. Um, my bigger question in Purdue's fundraising is why he hasn't caught on with the small dollar donors, because those are really the donors who fuel that Trump uh, that Trump energy and the Trump money for lots of candidates, lots of Trump favored candidates. And you have to put Marjorie Taylor Greene at the top of that. She does not get a ton of money from the big donors, but she gets a ton of 10, 15, $50 increments from small dollar donors all across the country. And I would have thought knowing how important this race was to Donald Trump, I would have thought that there would be more small dollar donors coming in for David Perdue, but he's just not that kind of candidate. He doesn't go viral. He doesn't get on TV and uh, say things that are uh, just uh, totally incendiary and memorable. Um, he's just sort of a polished CEO and he didn't seem like a guy who needs a lot of money for his campaign. So um, he's just not caught on with those small dollar donors. And that has been a bit of a surprise to me. I thought they would put their money where Trump's mouth is and they have not done that yet. Um, you know, uh, Kevin, one race that I am so interested in is this race for Secretary of State, because sort of all the marbles and all of the infrastructure really for the next election come down to that Secretary of State's office. To the extent that the Secretary of State has power, the legislature has actually reduced the Georgia Secretary of State's power going forward. So it'll be a little bit less powerful. But just having the role of who is in charge of overseeing the counties as they count the votes um, to see a Donald Trump supported candidate, a Donald Trump fueled candidate like Jody Heiss getting into this race against Brad Raffensperger because Raffensperger rejected Donald Trump's efforts to find those 11,000 votes. That to me is a race that is just the epicenter of Donald Trump's grievances. I think you're right. And I, uh, I think Look, let's go back to that period, right, where uh, all of that commotion was happening. Raffensperger really stood tall. I mean, he, uh, I think history will be very kind to him. Um, he he was cast into this role. And, and as as you remember, Patricia, I mean, when he, he was sort of a, a wonky guy. Remember we did that, um, we did that uh, show with him where he demonstrated the voting machines. And I had never seen more enthusiasm out of him up to that point than when he was showing people how these great new voting machines were going to work. I, I I'm sure you remember that. And then all of a sudden he became the guy in the eye of the hurricane and he held firm. He really held firm at that time. And so that just resulted in a huge target being painted on his back. And that is very troubling because normally a person, a, a politician who stands tall in a situation like that burnishes a reputation forever and is beloved and is probably going on to bigger and better things. And now this guy's being primaried and it could turn out very badly for him. And I would argue for the state of Georgia to get someone who believes Trump, the election was stolen from Trump and now is in that key office. Yeah. You know, I have actually heard Trump supporters refer to this ticket, not as the 
um, as uh, rather the ticket that they're running against, not as the Kemp ticket, but as the Raffensperger ticket, because they perceive Raffensperger to be so fatally flawed among Republicans that there is no rescuing him. And to the extent that they can tie him to every other person running on the ballot, that is what they want to do. That's how they see success. It's to get people um, on that Raffensperger ballot, even more so than calling them part of the Kemp ticket. So I've found that just endlessly fascinating. Um, Tomorrow, the other race that I, once we know how it ends, I'll be like, I can't believe that's how it ends, uh, is that race in the 10th district with Vernon Jones, because Vernon Jones was running for governor. I think he believed when he got into that race against Governor Kemp that Donald Trump was going to support him because he has stayed so very close to Donald Trump. He was at every rally that I covered. He was also incredibly well received at every rally, every Trump rally that I covered because the Trump voters just really responded to him, loved him, literally crowd surfed with him, just passed him from one to another uh, through the crowd at one rally. Very memorable. Um, But in order to get uh, David Perdue a chance of getting up um, closer to Brian Kemp, Donald Trump has asked uh, Vernon Jones and Vernon Jones Green to run for Congress instead in that 10th district race. It's very crowded with other Republicans. It will probably go to a runoff, but I don't know. I just don't know. What do you, how do you imagine it's going to go for Vernon Jones in the 10th? I'm not sure. It's one of the most conservative districts in Georgia. Um, It includes kind of the suburb, the kind of it stretches from kind of the suburbs of Athens all the way to the suburbs of Augusta, or at least it did before redistricting when I was covering it. Uh, Deeply, deeply conservative. And, you know, it's when I was covering it in Congress, they elected some of the most out there kind of most conservative members of the Georgia delegation. Of course, Paul Brown represented that district for many, many years. Jody Heiss, he would have been able to hold that seat for the rest of his life uh, had he wanted to in the 10th. And what's so amazing to me, Patricia, is how the 2020 election turned what used to be such kind of a bureaucratic, low-profile job that was Secretary of State into something that would make even somebody in a safe congressional district like Jody Heiss, he could have been there for the rest of his life and instead wanted to take on this job that for so long kind of went below the radar. But as you said, Patricia, it's it's hard to kind of predict what's going to happen in such a wide open field with something like a dozen candidates. And yes, Vernon Jones now has the endorsement from Trump. But he's also, you know, a lifelong Democrat um, who voted for many policies in the state house when he was running to Cab County that Republicans absolutely hate. And so it will be very easy for his Republican opponents in this primary, particularly Mike Collins, who sort of was was leading the pack, at least until this Trump endorsement to, to really pick apart. Uh, Mike Collins is very well known. He um I believe ran against Jody Heiss uh, the first time in, in 2015, and they ended up in a runoff together uh, back then. So a very well-known voice, a wealthy businessman who has money to spend to be able to get out there. And so I don't know. I've, I've learned not to predict too much in these these races over the years. Well, um, we are going to see how that all turns out on Saturday. Uh, When we come back to the Politically Georgia podcast, we're going to look at how that turn to the far right for the Republican Party and that pressure from the right is manifesting itself in the Georgia General Assembly. This is the Politically Georgia podcast. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents hip hop's most pulled elements 
are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Now, there are many benefits that come with your subscription to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. One of them is access every morning to The Jolt, which is our daily political newsletter that sets the agenda and the stakes in local politics. Coming up tomorrow in The Jolt, we'll have an update on what's happening in the Georgia legislature. We'll also look ahead to what to expect from Donald Trump's rally. Now, you can only get this if you're a subscriber to the AJC. So if you want to join the community, go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you know what's always going on. Now we're going to get over to the Georgia legislature. And the headline for my column this week, um, if y'all have had a chance to read it, it came out on Wednesday. And my headline was Modern Muskets and Misinformation Are Eating the GOP Alive. I was really looking at this push to the right, not among all Republicans, but on especially those Trump-favored far-right Republicans, um, that is having an effect down at the Georgia legislature. And uh, we really saw that um, tomorrow, Kevin, when Speaker David Ralston's bill uh, came over from the House side where it passed with, all, I believe, all but three Republican votes. And then it came over to the state Senate and just ran into an absolute buzzsaw of opposition. And that opposition for the Republican speaker's bill was not from Democrats. It was from far-right activists. And we started to interview these activists to try and find out what exactly their concerns are with this bill. Um, For people who haven't had a chance to read up on it, the bill uh, gives more resources for mental health spending here in the state. It will um, hopefully, lawmakers hope, uh, create more access to inpatient treatment. It will also require insurance companies to give parity, uh, meaning they need to cover mental health services just the same way that they cover physical health services. So in the same way that uh, that you can go to the doctor and get your knee looked at, they would like people to have the same kind of insurance coverage if they feel like they need to go get therapy or have any other kind of mental health access. So that's what the bill is meant to be. But in speaking with uh, activists, I was hearing a lot of people's uh, complaints and uh, not just concerns, but fears about COVID vaccines, about uh, churches having to pay for um, gender affirmation surgery, just a lot of, um, frankly, it kind of just comes down to misinformation. People believed uh, from talking points and from bills and uh, emails that they had gotten that there would be um, more forced medications, that there would be changes um, to the criminal code, that it would let people not be prosecuted for crimes, um, that they had committed particularly crimes against children, which was a very dark turn that this took. And we just saw activists who were just 
believed this very firmly down at the legislature. Um, and Tamar, it was really the first time I have seen a bill of this high level profile derailed by what is um, essentially the, the Freedom Caucus now in the state Senate and the state House. Um, this group of far right activists hearing from their lawmakers that maybe a bill from Speaker Ralston is not something they want to pass. Yeah, I mean, this was pretty much as non-controversial as you could get when this thing was introduced. Um, you mentioned it passed 169 to 3 in the House. Um, this is Speaker Ralston's top priority. The governor, of course, said that uh, he would sign it too. It's something Stacey Abrams has said she supports as well, which has kind of fueled this uh, backlash on the far right. And on its face, who would want to oppose something like expand, expanding access to mental health care? I mean, the rankings that Georgia has right now are, are very abysmal. Um, you know, we rank among the lowest around the country when it comes to most measures of, of mental health um, and the number of mental health professionals per capita. We have rising suicides in rural Georgia. Overdose uh, deaths are on the rise. Um, a giant staffing shortage among, you know, in our psychiatric hospitals. And so on its face, who would oppose that? Uh, but it just goes to show what's floating around there and the fact that it's quickly turned into what opponents are calling, a, you know, they're calling it a, a pedophile protection act. And they see it as a way for government to not only take your guns, but to expand control over you and, and your children. And just some of that misinformation that's out there is just truly staggering. Kevin, our colleague Maya Prabhu had a chance to sit down with Speaker Ralston and talk to him about the far-right opposition to this bill. I take the position that this is a good bill that touches the lives, uh, would touch the lives of a lot of Georgians, a lot of families. We need to pass the bill. I think the Senate is uh, shares that. I don't see a lot of impact that this um, opposition is having because, you know, the, the, you know, the truth of the matter is the opposition is, there's really kind of two, two camps of opposition. There's one, I think, there, I think there are some people that have legitimate concerns as, as have legitimate concerns about many issues we take up here, well-intentioned good faith objections. Then there are the others who are, their concerns are fact-free. Uh, they are outrageous. They're ridiculous. And um, so I think members in, on both sides, both the House and the Senate, are sorting through that. And uh, so that's why I'm still optimistic. I'm, I'm very optimistic about the bill. We're going to get this bill passed. Kevin, fact-free outrageous and ridiculous. Yeah, the speaker uh, was really sending a message there. And as we all know, if there's one person in Georgia state government who knows how to get something done, it's Speaker Ralston. So I think we're hearing his frustration. You know, he's had frustrations with the Senate uh, over the years. Uh, and I think that uh, when he says we're going to get this bill passed, that's a way of letting people know. But I mean, that Senate hearing was crazy, right? They had to call the Capitol Police get the crowd under control. There were shouting matches. There were all kinds of things going on. And, and I know that Maya reported that uh, legislators got over a thousand emails opposing the bill. So this thing is just sort of taken on a life of its own. And I think that's what the speaker means when he says it's just fact-free and 
uh, not really legitimate. Tamara, I uh, I spoke with some senators who knew that um, not all the information that people opposing the bill were getting was accurate. Some of the complaints or concerns about it certainly were based in substance and they wanted to go through that. But uh, some of the senators who have primaries coming up said they're spooked. They It's hard to see a Senate hearing get packed to the gills to the point people had to be turned away. And they're all holding signs up saying, don't vote for this bill. Exactly. And those same Republican senators are very mindful that they cannot alienate these people on the far right, because many of those people are the most passionate who will come out in a primary, uh, which are just around the corner at the end of May. You you can't do anything to alienate those supporters. You want to make sure that, you know, make them feel like you're taking their concerns seriously. And then you also have the fact that the leader of the Senate is Butch Miller, who's running for lieutenant governor and in a very tight primary battle against Burt Jones, who has been endorsed by Donald Trump, and both of them are trying to outflank one another on the right. So while you know, I see Kevin's point that, that David Ralston is certainly one of the most powerful men in Georgia and tends to get what he wants on many things, it might be hard to go against the primary and kind of the, the politics of the moment, especially when you're in a tight race. So let's yeah, say Kevin, that if- that happens, Patricia. I mean, when is the last time uh, the speaker didn't get his way? And is that a signal that the man who has kept the House under reasonable control through all of this Does that mean he's losing his grip? Well, you know, we're going to have to see what happens. He certainly has um, control over on the House side, and the Senate side is just a different beast, particularly with all of these candidates, as Tamar noted, with um, statewide races coming up, and not just statewide races, statewide primaries, GOP primaries. Kevin, to me, it's this collision of politics and policy. And if you are a member of the Republican Party up for re-election, you've got this added twist and pressure of in many um, districts having to prove that you are a Trump Republican. I think that's what's so crazy about it, because as Tamar pointed out, our state ranks so poorly in measurements around this issue relative to mental health. We all know how mental health has taken center stage in our society, both both uh, nationally and locally. And this was a chance to to move forward as a state. And again, you mentioned Speaker Ralston, one of the most powerful and you know, arguably respected leaders in the state, said, we're going to do something about this. And you remember the fanfare with which that bill was introduced. And now it's caught up in what's clearly bizarre misinformation and won't pass and won't move the state forward. I mean, that's why the legislature exists to move the state forward. Okay, well, we will see what happens with that bill. They're going to have a vote on the Senate side um, coming up. And then if it uh, gets out of the Senate, it will go on to, um, I don't know if they'll have time for a conference committee. We'll have to see exactly what happens with this bill. And then, of course, it would go on to Governor Brian Kemp. Um, So, guys, as we wrap up the show, Greg and I love to talk about at the end of the week, who's up and who's down. So Kevin, who is up and who's down for you this week? I am going to shock you with this one, but I'm going to go a little unorthodox. And I would say Greg Bluestein is up. The book is getting <laughs> a lot of attention. Um, there's uh, several events that uh, we're going to be going to include, uh, including the people here on the, this podcast. So he is uh, definitely up. And then I'll just come back to David Perdue. He's down. I mean, I haven't talked to anyone who thinks his campaign makes sense. Um, People may not be public about it, but when they talk to you, they just they just don't understand what he's doing. Tamara, who's your up and down? 
My answer is federal prosecutors. Uh, they're they're my up this week. You know, this it's been five years since we learned about the launch of the uh, corruption trial, looking into the tenure of, of former mayor Kasim Reed. Uh, it's been five years of of kind of a drip, drip, drip of developments. But this week was the first time we ended up getting a, vil- a guilty verdict. Uh, Mitzi Bickers, former uh, top high ranking uh, administrator within City Hall, uh, she's guilty of nine out of 12 felony counts that that were brought against her. So a huge win for, for federal prosecutors. Um, as for what's down uh, this week, <laughs> my wallet, after I uh, continue to go through the home buying process here in Atlanta, trying to uh, <laughs> find anything affordable, uh, competing with everyone else also looking for homes in this climate. So certainly my wallet and my dignity after this whole process is over. Oh, I'm sorry, Tamar. Yes, uh, housing affordability, the crisis is real here in Atlanta for sure. I thought you were going to say uh, you were down after filling up your gas tank. I noticed that for regular, my, gal- my uh, gallon was uh, $4.70. Uh, so that my I was also a little bit down after filling up my gas tank. So my who's up uh, for this week is Governor Brian Kemp, because he has signed into law a big tax refund for each Georgia tax filer. He also is um, very likely to have coming up a tax cut, kind of an attack across the board tax cut for Georgians. So he's able to, again, as governor, have these moments where he is uh, able to present himself as doing things for Georgians that Georgians are going to like. Um, as a twist, my who's down is Brian Kemp because he's got Governor, he's got a uh, Donald Trump coming back to Georgia to just beat up on him one more time. And I mean, eventually, eventually you'd think it would get a guy down, but he actually seems pretty relaxed about this entire situation. So I think probably Saturday he'll have some plans with his family. He will be not watching television. Um, But that's not the case for us at the AJC because we will be there covering um, the Donald Trump rally in commerce. And um, that is going to wrap it up for the Politically Georgia podcast this week. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. New shows come out every Wednesday and Friday. So we will talk to you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.